lots of times when we put such big gaps in between when we're watching our children, engaging with our children, they find back doors. They find ways to hide applications. They find ways to create four or five different pages that you have no idea about. So even if you're checking their phones at the end of the day or the week or they're turning it in, I would still say that we have got to create time. I want to scroll with you. It's a brand new day. One of the most challenging topics regarding teens using social media and digital devices is the mental health effects of what some would consider an epidemic. So who better to bring into the discussion than a national certified counselor and a licensed professional counselor? We would like to welcome Tracy Parnell to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, We're going to start pretty basic, just so the audience can get to know you a little better. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, your career journey, and who you support. So I'm a licensed professional counselor. I mostly work with um, adolescents, middle age, and young adults. I do see some couples as well, too. Um, I started off my journey as a middle school, high school counselor. I got my education in, you know, to be a part of the school system. And once I went through my internship, I decided that that was not enough time to accurately give people space to process, release, and change behaviors or deal with emotions that they were feeling. So I decided to go into private practice. um, And I started my practice in 2020, right mid-pandemic, and it has been flourishing ever since. I am a hybrid therapist, so I see clients virtually and I see them in person. And I have two additional therapists that... I have employed because there's such a great need for mental health services. So I am excited for the work that I do. I absolutely love it. I love that. And it, this is certainly needed. Yeah. To start this up mid-pandemic feels like such an appropriate time to do so. And it's really cool to hear how you recognized where you could make a bigger impact with your own practice. Okay. So we always like to hear how our guests interact and engage on social media What does that look like for you on a daily basis? So social media, I do have personal and professional engagement with it. Professional engagement, I just got to the point where I have handed that off so that I am creating messages that constantly interact with the public on mental health services, how you gauge your mental wellness and how you um, actually take proactive steps to be in the best place that you can be. So I handed that off because it was overwhelming, highly overwhelming. I do have about maybe six to eight posts per week that go out um, for the business aspect. Professionally, I'm sorry, personally for myself, it is like an unplug for me, an unplug and recharge. So I am utilizing um, social media. I'm on it quite often, but I also do social media cleanses for my own well-being. I love that social cleanse. I I like that term. Um, What are some ways you've seen social media and digital platforms work well with teens and families in your experiences? So teenagers are, (laughs) 
so I'm a little older, right? So teenagers are different for us. This is their, this is how they interact across the board. Like they don't even text each other anymore. They DM each other, but they will refer to it as texting. So the positive ways I've seen it used is if you want to get information out quickly, put it on social media. If you want to spread the word to doing something that will catch their attentions, put it on social media. Um, families, however, I can't say that I have had much experience with it being positive for families other than connecting people from different spaces, states, you know, countries, mm -hmm. keeping people abreast of what families are doing. That's the most positive interaction I've seen for the teens and the families. You mentioned how they connect these days uh, and not to put your age out there, but we didn't grow up in that way and having children myself and watching them navigate through this as we were all getting acclimated to it was quite challenging at times, but we have heard a lot of the same with devices being a, an extension of teens these days. Yes. Yeah. And of course, with all the positives, there are always some negatives. So what has been the most challenging aspect of digital devices and social media that you see with teens and what struggles do you most often address? So the biggest challenge that I see is that with their development, right, their brains are not fully developed. It's part of studies that show that 23 to 26 is when our frontal, the frontal lobe of our brain is fully developed, meaning intelligence, you can problem solve, you can do all of these things that will enhance your life. Right now, they're functioning off the back part of their brain, which is like trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, you know. So as they're developing, this has integrated as a part of their self-esteem. And the most common um, challenge that I see is that they are reacting like if anything is right or wrong on social media, it's inherently right or wrong with them. And so pulling apart cyberspace from their physical being has been the most challenging thing ever. So the likes, the dislikes, the comments, the conversations, the spilling of information that may or may not be true completely impacts their nervous system to a point where they can't, it, it takes a detox, if you will, to get them to understand that you are separate from this system and your values are created by what you decide they're created by, not the collective. And then when we talk about attempting to detox, it's almost as if they're going through withdrawals. Just take your kid's phone. <laughs> if you tell them you're going to take their phone, you will see, especially if they're into social media, hyperventilation, inability to cope, like the, the separation from that and their physical being is so like... I don't even know the word for it. Like just watching it sometimes makes my heart go out. So that's one of the biggest challenges that I see. Self-esteem, self-respect, and their ability to exist outside of this digital world is a huge challenge for the teens today. It seems like teens really struggle to distinguish between reality and the digital or virtual space, just like you said. And mm -hmm. I've recently seen some stories where taking away games social media or just devices themselves mm -hmm. they turn violent with some ending tragically. Yeah. When we, when we think about to the brain structure though, when we were younger, well, I can tell my age I'm older, I'm 43. So I used to sit on the phone. 
I didn't use to like literally on the phone, not necessarily with a cord, but you know, I sit on the <laughs> phone, like three way conversations. Everybody's on the phone. You go to sleep on the phone. Like that was the connection that I had. But when my mom cut it off, I also had books. Like we went to the library and we did, you know, reading sessions with the people who volunteer and would read it out loud. I used to volunteer swimming and going outside and riding your bike. And but I had those experiences while my brain was still developing. So if and when the phone went away, I still had other things to explore that were just as like fruitful for me. Well, not just like their brains developing at this point when they've had this highly connective source of cyberspace, but we also had the pandemic, which was so like coupled with the only way I can connect with you is through socialization of the phone or the internet or something, that just gravitated that to like a security blanket for them. So it's not just like, oh, put this down, let's go outside and ride a bike. Like the only way I can see my grandma without getting her sick is FaceTime. The only way that I can see a loved one potentially passing away is FaceTime, you know? So the the emotions that are surrounding their connectivity to cyberspace and being social that way is 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 so so deep that it's gonna take us years of research to really identify what the connectivity meant for them, means for them, and how to effectively pull them out and re-engage them in being in the grass without a phone. <laughs> like mm. riding your bike without identifying what time somebody is gonna text you or DM you or missing a show. Like we have to recalibrate the nervous system to get them on board with cyberspace is a tool, it's not your life, so. You mentioned the that withdraw, almost like a withdrawal. And my nine-year-old plays video games. And if he goes on a kick where he plays for a while, you can see it when he's finished. Like he doesn't know how to function or what to do, but then he'll go days without it. And he's like a normal kid. Like it really is when you're, when you're in it, you're in it and it's hard to, to back out of that. So it's a very interesting perspective. Yeah. Um, what type mm -hmm. of impact regarding social media challenges and struggles do you see most often with teens? Like the impact on them, like do you see anxiety, depression, self-harm or other mental health challenges most often? Anxiety mostly um, with depression at a second best and self-harm is like right in the middle of the two. So some of the behaviors are learned by what we see, what they see from their peers I have learned some people have moved to self-harm because what they see each other do, not necessarily that I've learned that this is my expressive way to heal. Um, so they, again, they get that by way of social media. But with the anxiety, like you said, well, when you take the game away, when you take the phone away, the anxiety peaks because now I don't have connection to what somebody thinks, what they're saying and what they're feeling. So the anxiety is heightened tremendously. Over time, it can turn into depression because now I'm separated from my community. Really they aren't, but they are. So what you were saying with your son, like playing the game and coming off, that actually regulates his nervous system. So if I let you play it and you zone in and that's cool, but then when you're off it, you're off it for days, I'm regulating your nervous system to say, I can like live without this level of interaction. I have other purpose outside of this. But with a continual connection, when you snatch it, or even when they're on it, like somebody released a rumor, oh my goodness, and the burn pages that they have for high school and middle school, and they publicize fights, and 
it heightens the anxiety tremendously. And then it de- it goes down into depression the longer they're off. So coming to therapy helps me to give them tools to identify self-worth and the different physical coping methods that they can use to come out of that shell or come down from that anxiety. But yeah, all three of those things are things that I really see um, from engaging in social media. Wow, that's very eye-opening. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to connect with that and their own experiences with their children and Again, so happy that you're here to explain these things and break it down in such a way that we can connect with. So in thinking about those impacts and how teens may have missed out on jobs, college or scholarship opportunities due to social media or digital mishaps, have you witnessed any of those types of situations? And are there strategies counselors use to support students if a mishap occurs to help them clean their digital footprint? Yes, I have experienced it. Um, And what happens is when they lose out on some of those um, opportunities that they would not have had otherwise, like they they hit levels of depression. So we walk through the consequence. So sometimes you cannot walk back a consequence. If they take a scholarship back because they've, there was one in the news where I think somebody did a nude photo, photo shoot after graduation and it went public. Mm. And that the the opportunities that she had beyond that were snatched from her. And you can't erase that. You can't erase certain things that you put out. A lot of these things, once it's out there, people copy it, they record it. And so as much as you want to take it back, you can't. And so lots of times we talk about integrity, how you want to face the public, how you want to be seen beyond your friendships. And the fact that they, as you grow, the people who hire you grow and they find back doors to find pieces of who you are. So the the best way to do it is to ensure that you're conscious of what you're putting out because things usually really never go away. And then again, we sit with them, we process because sometimes loss can actually be turned into a story of success beyond that. So it can be a learning tool. So you can actually publicize a story of I did this This is what I learned from it. This is what I lost. And then you can engage in attempting to redirect your energy, showing that you are moving in a different direction. Um, But the the hardest thing to do is to swallow the pill of loss from your action. So as far as cleaning the, the digital footprint, I have no experience with that. My only experience is that kids will copy and paste and you think you've gotten rid of it, but it's still out there. Yeah. Once it's out there, it, there's no going backwards. Mm-hmm. So you've talked a little bit about um, tools that you use and, and strategies. And I love that you have that turning around attitude for those moments of loss. But we do live in a modern digital age. Um, what training or resources or maybe even procedures regarding social media and digital devices are available for licensed counselors? There's a plethora of things out there. Um, so specifically, if you subscribe to any, um, so myself, I'm a part of the ACA, which is America's American Counseling Association, Clinicians of Color, National Board of Counselors. All of those places have trainings. They also have um, consent forms. They also have like you can do one-on-one coaching with people to identify how you can best use social media for your advantage and not for your disadvantage. So, I mean, there are plenty of other places that have free content as well. 
And I use a lot of peer-to-peer consultation. So I'll sit with some of my other counselor friends who are in private practice, and we go with our stories of how this worked well for me or how this didn't, what I learned from it, and we enrich each other to ensure that we are, you know, working to the benefit of using social media and not necessarily the um, the demise of a culture or a generation. That's so great. You can lean on each other and, you know, have each other and have those conversations, those real conversations and um, kind of get some ideas. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. And especially uh, being able to lean on experiences uh, in this particular topic as well with, with students and being able to see what's out there, the latest and greatest trends happening, overcoming some of those things. So that's great to hear. Yeah. Are you uh, aware of or promote any social media etiquette programs uh, for teens or specifically two or four teens? I actually don't have any close ties to any of those programs. I will say that they are intricate parts of certain mentorship programs. So I know that the Delta Gems are one that actually have, host a whole conversation about it or even a like a training session within their overall training um, different churches will talk on the topic in the mentorship program. So mm-hmm. I know that there are like princess projects and there are uh, male projects, 100 black men. And so these, I don't know that there are any specifically geared toward that, but they're all seated inside the mentorship program. Um, if they come to my practice, the only thing I advocate for is privacy. You cannot have privacy when everybody has access to pieces of you. And in this social media uh, reality TV age, everybody has been, most people have been taught, the more you put it out there, the more people will like it, you get paid for it. But at the end of the day, you should have a level of privacy, just like going to the bathroom. I would never feel myself doing that. So look at your life like, I don't want these private moments to be things that people can collect and make fun of or make content of. It belongs to me. It's special to me. It's private for me. So my biggest etiquette is like, look at it and get off of it as often as you can. Yeah, no, no, great advice. And you mentioned mentorship and just thinking about monitoring. This may be somewhat general, but do you feel that parents are playing a big enough role in the digital realm? Or are kids getting the guidance from mentors or parents, guardians that they need? Or do you feel like there's some opportunity in the space? So without attempting to point a finger, I would definitely say we can always do better. So I'm not a parent of kids. I'm a pet parent. So if if I get him a chew bone, I'm like, okay, great. I can do some notes. I can record some videos. I can do, you know but that gives me the opportunity to engage in what I have going on and not watch him. So it's really easy for us to say, oh, I check their phone at the end of the week or I check their, you know, subscription history because everything's linked to my phone. But what I remember when I was younger was when I watched PBS Channel 9, yes, I'm old. (laughs) When I used to watch Lamb Chops play along, my mom sang the songs with me. She was able to look at the, the content of the people who were putting things out. So by the time she left me with them, she understood the values that were coming from that. Lots of times when we put such big gaps in between when we're watching our children, engaging with our children, they find back doors. 
They find ways to hide applications. They find ways to create four or five different pages that you have no idea about. Hmm. So even if you're checking their phones at the end of the day or the week or they're turning it in, I would still say that we have got to create time. I want to scroll with you. Let's scroll together and talk about little Jimmy. Let's talk about why you are following Rebecca. Like what's so cool about her? I need to know the essence of who my child is so that I can understand what they may be susceptible to. And that's how I teach them. Now, I can't watch them every moment of the day. Like that's like nobody can do that. But at the same time, when I create pockets of talk to me about the intimate things that you're dealing with, I can then identify different backdoors. I can identify things or or give education on what my expectations are for you. So, you know, we can definitely do better. And then I think the shock value will go down when you identify, oh my gosh, my private school child has four pages and the one page is like, who is this person? Yeah. That part. Yeah. Different personas. Yeah. 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 And you said so many things I want to talk about, but you also triggered a thought. You mentioned privacy is one of the big things that you promote mm-hmm. when we think about our children. We almost give them too much privacy with digital devices. And what triggered that thought is you talking about your mother singing that uh, song along with you from PBS, mm-hmm. which is a great story, and relating it to content at that time, which it's a different time, right? But your mother was connected with the content you were consuming. And it feels like maybe as parents in today's age, we often overcompensate on the privacy where we we really need to be there to help and translate content that they're consuming so we can make sure it's appropriate. I absolutely love the way you connected that. And not think that it's a disadvantage because you are, some people are like, I don't want to invade their space or I want to be more like their friend. Well, the problem is that they have friends already and they're guiding them in ways that as a older person, you're never going to have that influence. That's why it's called peer. That's why we have peers, right? So if you feel as though I want to be their friend, you have you have to define it as the parent friend. We've got to put, you know, parameters around it because when I say that I'm coming into your space on purpose and it's for health and wellness is for guidance is to ensure that I'm covering you appropriately. It shouldn't feel like a friend's invading. I have a different title. I have a different um, responsibility. I have a different level of covering for you. So privacy from a friend is going to look different than privacy from a mom or a dad. I'm a dad is here to protect you. He's here to keep you safe. He's here to provide for you. And if he doesn't have access to certain points and places in your life, he can't, he'll be negligent. He can't do it. So you think of it as invasion and I think of it as safety. And, you know, our kids, we describe these things to kids and we, our kids are not as slow as we think they are. <laughs> I tell them his job is not to be your friend. His job is to when, when little Robert is wanting to punch you in the eye, he stands between you and little Robert and he takes that on for you. That's covering, that's protection. If you don't tell him about little Robert or he doesn't see little Robert's interaction with you on social media, he doesn't know he needs to be that go-between. So we have to feel like we have open doors with our parents in certain ways. And if he comes and asks you about little Robert, don't get mad. It's because he wants to protect you, you know? So 
I'm sorry, I could go on and on. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And I love that you talked about that that piece of sitting down and scrolling together and like, let's just talk about and and see what's going on because there can be so many teachable moments in that and you can have those conversations and um, be the, give them the guidance that they need and, and be the parent to them. So that's great advice. Um, this might kind of go into our next question, but what would be your best advice to share with parents and guardians when it comes to digital citizenship so they're better able to support the children in their lives? I would say, you know, a lot of times I hear um, when we get older, we kind of get stuck in our ways or we get overwhelmed because we have had to move in all types of different areas and do different things. We adult, we pay bills, we got to go to work, we got to code switch, we got to put on masks. At the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is watch Lamb Chops play along. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to do is listen to girl fights. Like, I would say, though, get guidance when you do this, though. You need to be a part of the world that your children are a part of. You need to get on social media. And the minute you hear them say something about Roblox, you need to go research it. Search it up yourself. Identify what it looks like. You need to be following some of the things that your children are following, like, you know, if they want to be a part of sorority when they grow up or if they want to be a part of a mentorship group, just like we ask the parents to talk to them before our kids can go to their houses and play. We got to go to the house ourselves, too. We should be doing the same thing for social media. It's so easy for them to get in a space where they're involved in things that educate them on stuff you didn't even have a chance to talk to them about. So if you have a digital footprint, if you know how to work the back doors, all of these secret apps, all of this stuff, it shouldn't be new knowledge to you. It should be something that you're engaging in to identify before your kids identify it so that when they come to you and it's like, oh, no, like there's nothing new under the sun. I understand it. Let's talk about it. And not like, oh, my God, they created a secret secret app. So if you have education and knowledge on it, you take time to invest in the most important thing to you which is your children, because they will be what runs this country one day. They'll be the ones that care for us when we're older. They'll be the ones to make deciding votes and create and push bills. It's going to come from them one day. If you invest in them now where they are, then you can have a greater impact on their movement when they, you know, when they're getting older. Distilled so down. It, it did. It distilled it down and was said so eloquently. So thank you. That was great advice. I love that. And I think all parents, I, I know I am for sure, are guilty of having those moments where you've had a long day and I just want to, you know, do some mindless scrolling or do something for me mm -hmm. or read a book and, and your kids are, you know, on digital devices and you catch yourself like, okay, I got to put this down and, you know, be a part of their life, like you said. Um, and sometimes that's hard after a long day, but you're right. It's so important. They are the future and we, we have one shot to, to give them their best. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and we, we do collective things, right? So when you want to scroll, like, and not everybody, some people hate schedules. I'm an A-type personality on Fridays between the hour of four and six, I won't talk to you. You don't talk to me. I'm a therapist though. So I think that's, that's, I can have that kind of rule, <laughs> but that's fair. so you chance to hide. I get a chance to hide. But at six, we come back together. We do belly breasts. We do a little yoga. We cook dinner together. We, you know, so that is a part where we can schedule. I know I need to decompress. I talk to people all day. 
So I'm proactive with my communication. And then on Saturdays, we're going to read a book together. Like you read yours, I'm going to read mine. And then we'll sit around the table and I can maybe chat about some of the stuff. You can chat about the stuff. So we create the times where you can be free as a parent to like decompress. And then we we intentionally create the collectivism that allows them to realize you're connected to me. You're tethered to me and I appreciate you. And I want to know what you got going on. So great. And you've mentioned books and Nicole, you've also mentioned books, which leads us to our bonus question. We like to ask our guests uh, because, hey, why not take a break from social media from time to time? If the if you were to do that or if social media were to go out for a few days, uh, what would be the book you'd be reading? What would you pick up or what would you recommend? Oh, gosh, that's a really good, great question. So if you are so it's important to know what you need at the moment. Sometimes you just need funny, regular, old, crazy books. And sometimes you want self-help and wellness. Sometimes you want an autobiography. So like if you are learning that it's harder for you to connect with or enforce boundaries, I would definitely recommend Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Dr. I forget her name. I think it's um, Nita. You can find it on Amazon by that title. That is an amazing book. And it comes with a workbook too. So, you know, if that's something you want to do. Um, for myself, I am spiritual. So I like to dive into things that are going to connect me currently back to spiritualism. So there's a book called Replenish that I, I absolutely love. And it's an audio book too. So I listened to it first. And then I, um, I think it's by Lance Witt. I listened to it first and then I read it because at the end of each chapter, there are questions that you can dive into that just has introspection. Um, but if you're a funny person and you just want to like disconnect, like how we like watch reality TV or scroll and don't pay attention, like you can dive into anything sci-fi. Like Target has an amazing line of like black books, sci-fi books, like just go and pick one and just start start where you are. And that they used to be, I'm a nerd though. So I used to I used to hide in the library all the time in high school and read books. So that's my favorite. Those are so many. I, great recommendations. Yes. Set boundaries, find peace sounds. I gotta check that out. Sounds great. Yes. Yes, it's an amazing read. Well, Tracy, we've taken up too much of your time and again, greatly appreciate it. But I have a sneaky suspicion that there are going to be some people that may want to chat with you further. And I'd like to give you the opportunity to share how listeners can connect with you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So I am the owner of Sharper Vision Counseling Services. So if they go to sharpervisioncounseling.com, they can look up my website. They can look at pictures of me, pictures of what it is that I do for therapy. I also have two additional therapists that work with me. If they would like to make an appointment or have a consultation, they can also um, reach out to me by email. They can email me at info at sharpervisioncounseling.com. And the phone number is 314-666-0125. So I would love to be able to help more in the community. Absolutely. And that is both in person and on online services, right? Yes. So there are no, so kids under 16 are strictly in person. We do no virtual for young kids specifically because they need a break. Um, but all adults and people 17 and above, we, we do virtual and or in person. Again, this has been fantastic. 
I know there are going to be a lot of people that are going to find a lot of value and takeaways from this conversation and implement some of those ideas and guidance you've shared into their daily routines. So again, thank you so much. We greatly appreciate your time. Absolutely. I'm happy to assist. Thanks for choosing me to do the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Thanks again. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Seriously, that was fun. It was very nostalgic. And honestly, I feel light. And like, I just had a therapy session. It was such a great conversation. Eye-opening, but so great. And I, I feel like it helped me in a sense. Yes, I definitely had a lot of takeaways uh, as a mom of three kids that and a teacher that I will definitely be uh, thinking about that she shared. Yeah. And I do need to call out, I saw you fist pump when she said lamp chops. So I did. I, I started it. singing the song <laughs> in my head and now it will never go away, but great show. The song that never ends? The song that never ends. Okay. <laughs> I won't sing it for you guys. <laughs> We've done enough. So she talked about the brain development and 23 to 26 is the age that the frontal lobe, I believe she said, is fully developed. And we have kids on devices at, as toddlers. Like we have to be aware that their brain is still developing until they're 23 to 26. And that was so eye-opening to me um, that that's the age. That's that's crazy to me. It's things that you don't even consider or think about. I mean, you know children are not fully developed um, and the level of content they're consuming and to really think about it in those terms, the way Tracy broke it down is is mind-boggling and to think of what they have in front of them and what they deal with and the responsibility of it all uh, to act appropriately that's tough to hear it in those terms and the impact it has not only on their brain but their whole body just getting that therapist view again so eye-opening how it impacts their nervous system um, and it can cause them to have withdrawals it can take a detox to come off of technology and devices like that is that's huge when your kids and when teens can't exist outside of the digital world because they're so into it and as you saw I kind of have a connection to that I feel like we do a pretty good job balancing but it, it can it can catch up with them for sure and there are studies social media and teens can have addiction issues and she mentioned like the the shaking and like the detox, the withdrawals, those are all symptoms of addiction, similar to how adults get addicted to alcohol or drugs. Social media can have that same, obviously, dopamine hit and can create those same type of symptoms uh, in those underdeveloped brains. So uh, that, that was really powerful in what she shared there. And the anxiety and the depression. Yes. A lot of side effects for sure. Kind of scary. Um, and going from that, just thinking about like how important that balance is. She talked a lot about that. I like when she said being in the grass, like we need our kids to be in the grass and to be outside. Um, you, you know, it's part of their world and it's not going away, but it should be a tool and not their life, as she mentioned. And we need to know that our kids are able to turn it off and go do other things and to have time to ride their bikes or to read a book or um, engage in other activities that that they like and not only be on those digital devices. Yeah, just that analogy of touching the grass, feet in the grass, being, being one with the earth and nature, 
Um, there, honestly, there's something to that. I kind of live by that myself. Uh, so I was really happy to hear, hear allude to that. Yes. And she also talked about once it's out there, it's out there. And we've talked about that in several different um, episodes, but you got to show integrity with what you post. What you put online is a representation of you. And she said, you cannot have privacy when other people have pieces of you. And that was really powerful for me is just really keeping that in mind that like you want to have that privacy and only post the things that you really are comfortable with people seeing and that you're not going to regret. And sometimes we can be so quick to post something and we really have to put some thought into what we're putting out there. A lot of people think because their account is private that they are being private. But that's not the case when you're sharing a bunch of information. We talked about screenshots. We talked about people taking information or sharing um, what you put out there with other groups of people. Be careful what you're putting out there and keep some of that information to yourself and don't give folks the opportunity to capture that information and turn it, twist it, and apply it in a way that it wasn't intended. So I, I agree with you 100%. I really appreciate the way she called that out. And that's a good point about the privacy settings. If it's out there, it's out there. It doesn't matter. Yes. Um, as parents, we can always do better. I think she phrased that really well, um, talking about interacting and engaging and having conversations with your kids instead of just checking their devices, um, singing the songs with them, just really investing in the life that they live. And it's, I know it can be hard, but being their parent and not trying to be their friend, they have friends. She said that. And I, I was like, wow, that is so true. It's really important to be their parent and have those conversations and teachable moments with them. Yeah. And what she talked about uh, with privacy as a parent and, you know, maybe sometimes as a parent, you want to try to respect the boundary of privacy, connect. And then uh, this, this is a great theme that that we've seen kind of running throughout where build connections, understand what your children are looking at and doing online so that you can have that connection. It's not invasive as a parent to want to know what they're into, what they're consuming. And privacy, I think, is a separate topic when you think about social media privacy versus parent interaction and privacy. I think those are two different lines to walk. Being invasive as a parent is different than being invasive as a friend. And I like that you said that as well. And the responsibility of protecting our children and knowing what apps they're playing, what games they're on and investing in them can only help us understand what they're doing when they're on technology. And I've heard my kids say different games that they're on and I'm like, I don't know what that is. I've mm -hmm. never heard of it. But it, it really made me think about how I need to look into those a little care more carefully and make sure I know exactly what they're doing. I think you have probably some experiences that uh, you would like to share in this space. Yes. So I was thinking a lot about things that I do in my classroom um, and just the why, I guess, um, when she was talking about counseling and we have school counselors, but we also have like therapists, but our waiting list to be seen at school is insanely long. And unfortunately in schools, there's, there's, there are not enough counselors and there are not enough therapists to get to all the needs of the kids as much as we would like to. Um, so we're really intentional about having those mindful moments at school. Um, I try at least a couple times a week to teach different mindful moments and deep breathing strategies and gratitude and 
uh, just thinking about positive things and the little things in our lives to be grateful for. We would hope that kids are learning those things at home and using those strategies and tools, but I find that it's just a really good way to teach kids how to use those in those moments of frustration or when they maybe don't have their device and they're frustrated. So um, there are many apps out there. There's one called Headspace. There's one called Calm um, that you can even use at home with your kids. So it just really made me think about how important that support for our kids is when they are going through a hard time. Yeah. And it's a great reminder to, just like you said, there's not enough resources to go around at the school level. And it's a good reminder for parents to check in with your children and ask. I mean, they're not going to just come forward and tell you, hey, I need therapy sessions or it'd be great if I could talk to somebody about this. But having that open dialogue and and starting to get a sense if some things are wrong or if they need someone to talk to. I mean, it could be family counseling. It could be an individual counseling session. But just seeking out resources, no matter what that may be, you know, be a little bit different for everybody, of course. But just keeping your eyes open for the opportunities for those scenarios and situations, I think, is is critical. You can learn a lot through conversation. I actually just started a mom and daughter journal with my eight-year-old, and I could tell she was going through some frustrating things and I didn't know exactly what was going on. So we do it a couple times a week and it just asks questions. I have learned so much and things that she's proud of and make her excited that I didn't know. And on the other hand, things that are frustrating to her that I had no idea were bothering her. So it has led to some really good conversations and kind of talking through those. And I wish I would have started it sooner. So powerful and such an easy thing to do. Yeah. Which is one of the biggest things that uh, was my takeaway was be a part of the world your kids live in, invest in your kids, spend that time and enjoy them. Great piece of advice and probably the most powerful. So Tracy shared many resources, many tips, lots of advice. Um, make sure you check out Tracy's website. It's great. Um, use the ACA, look for mentorship programs or other resources that she mentioned for trainings and tools. And hopefully you are walking away with some new tools and the books she recommended sound great. So check those out too. Absolutely. And I, we will put a link in the description uh, directly to Tracy because I think there'll be a lot of value and I think there's going to be some folks interested in reaching out. So thank you, Tracy. And thank you, Nicole, for your time. Thank you, Chris, for your time. And remember, in the midst of chaos, there's always a way to find clarity. Have a great day. Bye. We are growing and would love your feedback. Please rate us and share your thoughts or any topics you would be interested in us covering in the future. Are you or someone you know interested in being a guest on the podcast? Visit us at chaoticdigitalworld.com. One way to help support the show is by adding a new resource to your library. Order a copy of A Parent's Guide, Keeping Your Children Safe in a Chaotic Digital World today on Amazon. Follow us on all social media platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to keep updated with new episodes and bonus content. As always, thank you for listening. This episode of Chaotic Digital World is brought to you in part by Next Steps, Inc. Next Steps, a software created for schools or organizations to transform the way we think about attendance management. Did you know? When an institution or organization uses five minutes per day for six sessions, that's equivalent to 15 wasted hours per month. 
And if there's an emergency evacuation, emergency personnel have to go in and search for those who may be hiding. We've solved those problems and more. At Next Steps, you can say goodbye to manual attendance and hello to efficiency and productivity. Our software automates the entire process, saving you time and resources. Visit us on our website at next-stepsinc.com to book a demo and learn more. We're waiting to speak with you.